0: Good morning. Welcome to Rock Bible Church. Amen? Amen. You know the whole spiel, right? The whole, we're Christ-centered, biblically based, compelling, casual community. Okay, good, because we're going to stop right there. There's enough this morning. We did prayer. We got communion coming <laughs> later. And we moved the offering. I mean, it's too much going on, right? From time <laughs> to time, we're going to change things and try different things, uh, as appropriate. And, and, um, just so you guys know, uh, we, we do want to minister to people in different ways and things like that. And so, uh, you know, if you have an idea, shoot us an idea and then we can try it. we got another idea coming up uh, that will get another way to help uh, families in the holidays. And so we'll probably roll that out maybe next week, I think, Em, is what the plan. So we'll do that. Uh, This morning we're 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to pray in a second before we do. Uh, But uh, 6 and 7 chapters preceding this, uh, he's kind of laid out what is grace. Uh, Favorable, unrestricted, sometimes conditional, uh, but dwelling grace. Him dwelling with us, us dwelling with him. Last week we talked about uh, how do you process it? How do you kind of understand it? Uh, So chapter six what is it chapter seven uh, how do you think about it and in chapter eight he's going to start talking about how grace from from this overall arching concept goes down to street level how do you do grace how do you give grace uh he's going to talk about finances a little bit i know that's uncomfortable for some people uh so we're going to talk about finances this morning uh I'm not going to talk about it very much. Paul's going to talk about it a lot, but we're not going to get into any numbers or anything uh, because I I have a fundamental disconnect with that, I think, biblically. uh, And I I think I'll prove it to you actually today in the passage. Uh, But uh, the concept goes beyond finances. Finance is just one small piece, and I want us to look at it that way. What is the concept of giving overall? Giving of your time, giving of your attention, uh, giving of respect, giving of many types of things. And so we'll look at it in a holistic uh, perspective. I just want to give that little caveat before we get in. Uh, Let's pray and then then we'll jump in. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our opportunity to come before you and understand uh, not just what is grace or how to think about it, but how to actually do it. And so I pray, Lord, that our time this morning would glorify you and your Son and would be guided by your Spirit. We thank you for the singing that we've been able to do, set our hearts and our minds towards you. And Lord, I pray that our time uh, would give us real answers of changes in perspective that might benefit us, bless us and others. And so, Lord, we, we pray this morning would be to that end, and we pray it in your Son's name. Amen. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, we want you to know, brothers, uh, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Verse 2, for a severe test of affliction, stop right there. Wait a minute, I'm pretty sure a few weeks ago, Paul told us that affliction should be viewed as and called light Light. Light. momentary Momentary affliction. 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 Uh, That there are things that we go through in life, they are rough, they are painful, they are time consuming or costly. Uh, But he said, look, in in comparison to God's economy, uh, God's bigger than all things and so everything is light. In his book. Amen. Uh, Everything's momentary. Uh, The God of eternity. uh, Snickers a little bit. At our time frames. Amen. Uh, Yes it's affliction. But it's light and it's momentary. That's Paul like uh, way up here. Uh, That's Paul the idealist. Uh, There's also uh, another Paul. Which I'd like you to meet. I'd like you to um, introduce you to Paul the realist. Who lives down here? Now, though uh, theologically we know that all affliction is light and momentary, and he calls it that, Paul also knows that in the midst of the storm, in the middle of it, many times our affliction feels like a severe test. To say that it's light and uh, uh, momentary affliction uh, is not to discount the real pain, the real fear or frustration, uh, the lack of answers, the lack of vision for what's going to happen next month, or whatever it is, whatever is called into question, those are real things, and they can feel like a severe test. It's what I love about Paul, uh, as I feel like if if I actually ever met him, uh, we could sit at the coffee shop and have a conversation of, of big things up here, with too many vowels in the words, right? But we could also talk about things down here, Uh, Man, how do I do that? When I feel this way, how do I force myself to respond uh, in the godly way or whatever it is? Uh, So I love that that we get both Pauls. Amen? Uh, Macedonia has a church that Paul has been doing ministry with, and they've had a severe test of affliction. Something is not going very well for them. In fact, not going well is the politically correct way of saying it. If they were talking to you off to the side they'd use much harsher language, right? Severe test of affliction, so proper. Um, hell is breaking loose, maybe. They might say it that way. They didn't say things that way that, back then. We say it, like we got our own phrases. I'm sure they had a phrase back then. I don't know what they are, but that's what they're going through. In the midst of that severe test of affliction, verse two, their abundance of joy, What? Total disconnect. Opposite ends of the spectrum. Severe test of affliction. Paired with. Abundance of joy. Like joy came and there was too much of her. That doesn't make sense. And. Their extreme poverty. Not just poverty. Extreme poverty. Not. Hey, can we make it go? Uh, can we stretch things another couple days till the next check comes? No, no, no. Th- that's financially challenged, light and momentary affliction. Right? Extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of what? Generosity. Generosity on their part. They've paired severe test of affliction with. Extreme poverty, and and their answer to those things paired together was, "Oh, let's be generous." Now, what do you think they're talking about? Uh, Are they generous with their compliments? Are they generous uh, with helping to stack chairs, or volunteering at the snack bar? Probably none of those things. What what have they been generous with? They've been generous with their finances. The exact area where they're having a severe test. They say, I will have joy in this. And in the midst of what's going on, I am committed to certain things. That's surprising. Generosity on their part. It is awesome. Verse 3. For they gave according to their means. They gave what? Time, energy, compliments? No, no, no. What they give? They gave finances according to what they had, as I can testify, and beyond their means. What? In the midst of severe financial test, they're not just they're not just struggling with money, they're out of money. And yet they give beyond their means. This is a math equation that does not work in the real world, right? Probably doesn't work at most of your jobs. But in some kind of spiritual sense, Paul is saying that God believes there are other things more important for us to pay attention to than just the bottom line of what the uh, dollars and cents add up to. And there are things that are more important to put our money towards. Surprising. More important than what? More important than our priorities. More important than our fears. He's going to get into the comparison of those two as we keep moving. I can testify, he says, that beyond their means, they gave, comma, end of verse, of their own accord. Who decided that? Paul decided it for him. They chose it. In the midst of difficulty, they said, we're going to give more than maybe we should. I don't know. But we're going to do it because we want to. I'm pretty sure it's not because of their own accord means they drove a Honda. (laughs) Maybe they drove a Honda because they helped them save money. I don't know. Verse 4, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Uh, Head us back one, because that does not make sense at all. Severe affliction. Severe test of affliction. Extreme poverty. But then they give more than, they, uh, than their means, right? So why? Because they begged us earnestly. What, for their lives? Begging earnestly. This is very severe language, isn't it? Extreme. Like what? Begging earnestly? For the favor of what? Taking part. Taking part. What was their value? It wasn't the money. What was the value then? Because they gave more than their means. The value was, how do we take part? How do we take part in a meaningful way? In the relief of the saints. Uh, Which, by the way, you are. Paul would call each of you saints. right? Because here's one of the things. This is not your fill-ins or anything. This is just kind of like second service extra here. right? There's two things you will always have in life. Okay? Money. No, 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 Scott. You know, you haven't seen my bank account. I don't have any money. No, no, no. Every week or two or once a month, there's a piece of paper or maybe you get cash or tips or I don't know, however your system works, some money comes in. You will have money, right? You just have decisions on how you manage it and what you do with it, right? Second thing you always have, ministry. Well, I, I I don't know if that makes sense, Scott, because we didn't go to seminary and we're not pastors. I, ministry is what you do. We just got to go solve our finances so that we can give to the church, and then you do ministry and we do money. Did I did I make that sound sarcastic enough for you to get that that was wrong? You have a ministry, and it's different than my ministry. It's different than the ministry even than the person sitting next to you. But what if you started thinking in terms, as I think the church of Macedonia was thinking, God has given me the one that I might be effective at the other. God has given me money, means, talents, right? Because means is more than just finances, right? That I might better, more efficiently, effectively, in Take part in ministry. You know, uh, Dwayne and Charlotte uh, came up here and they prayed. That was ministry. You will always have somebody to minister to. You will always have somebody you can pray for. There will always be things you could give your money to or your time to. There are events that you could show up at. And you have to decide what are your ministries and how do you set up your family for doing those kind of things, right? That's what we got to work on. Uh, they begged in order to be part of this. They told Paul, yes, we're going through this, but you've got saints that are doing a ministry and we're going to help them, even if it costs us. Now, i sure. make sure you're keeping score at home uh, what is the ministry that's going to benefit from this sacrifice that the Macedonian church is that Paul's a part in what do you, any ideas what that ministry is here's the hint he's writing a letter to them it's the church in corinth that's going to benefit from Paul and Titus and these saints having the funding they need to do whatever they're doing. And they're about to send this church that's extremely poor and in severe test of affliction. They're going to send a huge gift to the church at Corinth. How cool is that? Awesome. Uh, for taking part in relief of the saints, verse five. And this, not as we expected, right? Of course they didn't expect it. Church was going through a lot but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to who? Us. To people. Do the will of the Lord and we do it to other people. Uh, verse six, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. You see what happened right there? Act of grace. What just happened to that word? El cambia la palabra. No? You guys ready for Spanish church? I'm not either. Uh, I just used like half of my vocabulary in Spanish right there. Uh, what is grace? We've been talking about it for two weeks. You better have an answer. Okay? I mean, you're not first service, okay? You're second service. I expect more. All right. uh, what is grace unmerited. as a form of word in English favor. it's a noun unmerited favor it's an entity it's a thing it's a noun what did Paul just do to the noun he said this act of grace he implied that grace is an action he just took a noun grace and turned it into verb grace He's asking the question, how is grace given? Or, what is giving grace? Hence the title for this morning's sermon. What is giving grace? Verse 7, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech. How, how does speech happen again? How do you speech? When you speech, what else has, has to be there? There's you. There's the stuff that you say. And and what I mean, if I come here tomorrow morning and I stand up here Monday morning, and I speech, we won't call it speech. We call it practice, right? Whole different sermon. Uh, I do it this morning, and we call it speech. Why? So nice. Got to have somebody listening. Got rich in the back there with his hand up against his ear. Yeah, there's, if if nobody's listening, you ain't speechin'. right? It involves other people, right? We have faith in God, and then we have speech that involves other people. other people In knowledge of God and knowledge that you share with other people. In all earnestness, what? Well, earlier it said in earnestness to take part. In what? The blessing of the saints. Other people. And in our love for you, other people. See that you excel in this, what? Act of grace. Act of grace. Now we've heard it twice. I believe we're going to hear it a third time in a little bit. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. I forgot to talk about this. I think we're running out of time. I was very long winded first service, by the way. Right. That's what happens when it's practice. So come to second service, right? You tighten it up. Everything goes quicker and you, and you cover everything. Um, uh, How do you you prove the earnestness of your love? How do you prove that it's genuine? By action. Right? You act it out. Uh, Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So, he gives a, uh, an analogy here where he starts to talk about Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross for us. Uh, in this analogy, he, he's comparing two things. And he says rich and poor. That's what he used to compare and contrast. You know, there's many options he could have used. He could have used uh, powerful and weak. He could have used uh, smart and dumb. It, it, there's many different, right? Uh, why why rich and poor? Why does he use that analogy? because the issue is financial they have a church that was in extreme poverty but they gave beyond their means in order to help somebody else financially they gave up their whatever they called rich to become poor and he says watch this it's the same thing that jesus did on the cross for us he took the richness of all that he was and could do and was capable of and 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 Limited himself down to humanity and said, "I will experience death to prove to you. I don't have to, but I will. I will become poor on your part, so that you might become rich." He says, "Now, uh, is the example meant to help you understand how finances work? Uh, It's meant to teach an overall concept. It's why he ties it to the cross, because what what Christ did on the cross was not for your finances." It did it for you. Be set an example of how we think. We think not for what we can get, but what we can give to others so that they become better or blessed out of what I have done, act, verb, towards them. And that's how I show grace. He says Macedonia did it this way. What's he going to tell Corinth? You do the same in your own way. Now it's not about money, is it? It's about mindset of why do we do what we do? Uh, And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. Hey, you guys started a church or you started whatever ministry he's referring to here. I assume it's maybe the church but you, you didn't start it just as, hey, well, this is thing we're supposed to do, and it's next on the to-do list, and we'll do it. No, they were excited about it. Excited like, let's really do it. Uh, let's finish it. Let's finish well. And so uh, he says, verse 11, so now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. He says, look what Macedonia did. They had a desire. They did beyond their means of what they had. And they completed a work. Now, Corinth, finish your work. Was their work a financial uh, offering that they were going to give off to somebody else? No, it was build that church. Let's create it. Let's keep it going. Uh, So now, again, we're not necessarily just finances that we're talking about. For if the readiness is there, verse 12, it is acceptable according to what a person has. If you're ready, ask the question, what do you have and what can you offer? And do something that's acceptable. It is acceptable based on what they have, not according to what he does not have. And somebody says like, I mean, you want to give beyond your means, great. But but don't give to the point where it's totally unrealistic. In fact, he's even going to say there, in, in a minute, he's going to say, "Not that it would be a burden to you." Let's look at it. Uh, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. Do we help other people? Yes. Do we help other people to the point where it incapacitates us? No. Because here's the thing. Remember, I said you're going to have always going to have two things: money and ministry. Right? You're always going to have those on some level. Which one's more important? <laughs> Dr. Towson? <laughs> Both. Right? I mean, good Christians, well, <laughs> let's not even use that term ever, okay? Good Christians, <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I don't want to know what that means. Uh, let's say super Christians, you know the ones with the cape? And when they walk in, they say, oh, ministry, much more important than money. <laughs> right? Uh, I, know, I, I know I stand those people. Because what I understand is if you don't manage your money, You're not gonna have much to how much ministry are you going to be able to do? Not as much and get in the way. So you got both. You got to manage both. You got to balance both. You do the best you can. Right, but so that you can get to ministry eventually, do more, do better, whatever. But not to the point where it burdens you or hurts you. But that, as a matter of fairness—wait, fairness? My dad said fair does not exist. Fair is not real. Don't ask me about fair. I learned this from my youngest of age. Let's now we've got a verse to compare to what Dad said. Dad could be in trouble. This could be awesome. Here we go. Ah. Uh, Fairness, verse 14, your abundance at the present time should supply their need. Why, you know you have extra. You have extra in in several areas. There will be different areas than the other person and what they have extra of. But everybody has extra things in certain areas. Maybe you have uh, extra time. Maybe you have, uh, maybe you do have extra money. Maybe you have uh, extra smarts. In something, extra talents. Maybe you have extra patience and you need to lead a seminar for the whole church, (laughs) right? Uh, How about confidence? I think one of the most dying commodities in our culture is true, healthy, humble confidence. Uh, We won't find it in the election. Uh, But what what I'm noticing with uh, men, women, children, uh, they are dying and being crippled by their lack of confidence. And we need some people with an abundance to teach and train and mentor that. What does it mean to see your value as determined by Christ and what he says about who you are? Because then you can walk into any room. At any time, dressed however you want, and be just fine. Amen. Amen. Uh, we do have abundances, and when you have abundances, you use those abundances to they they should supply their need. Who's there? Somebody, <laughs> anybody, whoever's got a need. And one of the questions of, you know, you, you got money and you got ministry. Well, your ministry should supply a need for someone. If you're having trouble defining who is getting a need met by your ministry. You might want to find a different ministry. I mean, I can speech and preach all I want. But when people stop sitting in all those seats. Thank you so much for being here, by the way. <laughs> I got to find a new ministry, right? It needs to meet a need so that their abundance may supply your need. Oh, I have an abundance of something I give to them, giving grace. Uh, They benefit and are blessed and it meets their need. Now they're pumped up and they have some abundances and they reciprocate. Wow, that was a big fancy word, Scott. What does that mean? They do the same. They share with you different things, but what they have an abundance of to supply your need that there may be what Fairness. see Dad. I'm calling my dad, by the way, can I, can I call him right now? Fair exists, dad. But here's the great news. Fair exists in the same way that you thought fair did not exist. You said fair didn't exist because I was always pushing for fair of what do I get. God says fair exists and is defined by what do you have and how can you meet someone else's need? What is their side of the equation look like? God's fair is the same as your fair does not exist, Dad. You're pretty smart. It's going to be a fun phone call. Anything? <laughs> As it is written, verse 15, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. What's he saying? Uh, what, gather, when you gather much, what are you trying to do? Hoarder. Hoarder. <laughs> first, first service couldn't figure that one out. You're greedy, selfish. I am going to get mine. I'm going to store it up in the barn. I'm going to save it for a rainy day. I'm going to fatten that account, whatever, however you want to call it. And, and what does Paul say is quoted in Exodus chapter 16, verse 18. Happens to people who store up nothing left over. What's God trying to teach you? Because, by the way, it's not talking about money. Exodus chapter 16, verse 18, not talking about money. They gathered too much, and when they gathered too much, they had nothing left over. What happened to the excess? would you be willing to say maybe God took it away or didn't let him keep it at least? Interesting. Now watch what happens. Comma. And whoever gathered little had what? Needs met. They, they gathered what they needed and their need was met. They didn't, they didn't gather extra. They gathered just what they needed and they got what they needed. Who made sure that happened? I mean, if God's responsible before the comma, is God responsible after the comma? Yes. Absolutely. I love the God that's in control of all things. Amen? Amen. Exodus chapter 16 is about the Exodus where Moses has Israel. It's like they've left Israel. They're out in the desert and they're in the wilderness. Um, how are we going to feed all these hundreds of thousands of people? Uh, let's run down to Safeway and a couple coupons. No, no, no. That's not, that's not working, right? And God says, I know you're afraid. I know that I've taken you. You stepped out on faith. Let me bless you. I'm going to bring you birds at night. They're going to come down. You're going to have as much meat to eat at night as you want. Take only what you can eat. In the morning, you're going to wake up. There's going to be manna on the ground, kind of like bread. Have as much as you can eat, but don't take any extra. In fact, there's a unit of measurement that we use called an omer. Take an omer per person for however many you have in your family. Don't take any more. What'd they do? They took more. What happened to it? It disappeared. Whew, gone. And instead of the people going, wow, it actually happened how he said. We should have faith in him and follow him. What, you know what chapter 16 is about? Grumbling. Complaining. You know the people that shouldn't go to church? They're missing the point complaining how come God and and Moses and Aaron are going what are you talking about he said birds at night bread in the morning you got birds at night bread in the morning he said don't take more than an omer per person you took more didn't, didn't have any more but look at the people who took only what they were supposed to and they're doing just fine same condition that we deal with today Greed, selfishness, I'm gonna go and get it. fair is what I about I get. Grace is what God gives to me. How how about how about what Pastor Haubecker said this morning? Have you met Pastor Haubecker? He he was talking this morning during prayer time. He said, uh, Lord and Savior is just where it begins. What if God's favorable, unrestricted, conditional, dwelling grace was given to you just as a provision, not as an end game? What if it is actually of secondary value, because after receiving that amazing grace, I think there's a song about it you would then turn and do what is of primary value and exercise that grace on other people. God would call that fair and amazing. But thanks be to God, verse 16, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. Everybody drive Hondas. I don't get it. Uh, with him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace. What, what of grace? I told you you're going to hear it three times. Are you here? Uh, that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our good will. That thing that Macedonia did in their severe test of affliction and their extreme poverty, they did above and beyond their means so that we, Paul, Titus, and the preacher guy that they don't name are going to come to you and who gets the gift? Corinth, the church that he's writing to so that we can prove the glory of the Lord himself and to show that we're about giving grace. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us, for we aim at what is honorable. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. And with them, we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters. But who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you? Uh, you need to recognize what, what what happened right there. It was, it was not simply just a, a roll call of who's going to show up with the gift for you. He's saying, "Note this. Uh, uh, Macedonia got excited about doing ministry, and they gave us a gift to get you give to you, and we got excited about doing that ministry. By the way, Paul, he got earnest too, uh, and then and then this other preacher guy, he wants to come, and and all of us getting excited about you." It's contagious. What happens in ministry is when 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 this group decides to join this group and this group and this and everybody starts to and they move together. It creates this wonderful uh, spiritual word movement, movement or momentum, <coughs> passion, awesomeness. I don't know. Pick a word. It's contagious right? People catch what's going on and then, and then they join, they jump on the bandwagon, right? I've always thought one of the best analogies about Christianity is an infectious disease. Have you caught it? And are you getting sicker? That's a great analogy, but I'm a little dark. You know, I still, I I still celebrate Halloween. So what do I know? Right? Um, Uh, Because nothing can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities. uh, Right? Okay. I got a verse for it. Anyways. uh, Verse 23. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. Not for my benefit, not for his benefit, but for benefit of others. Right? We see the analogy continuing. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches. What are the churches? The glory of Christ, by the way, just a little sidebar. The church is the glory of Christ. People see how cool Jesus is when the church acts like it's supposed to act. Just a little sidebar. We're going to move on now because that's a different sermon, different time. Verse 24. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Give proof. How do you give proof? Proof, you give grace. Hence the title. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's get into this. Uh, because I believe what Paul's getting at is this act of grace and how do you give it. We can understand the, the deep theological, high, overarching uh, definitions. Uh, we can understand how to think about it and how to process it. But Paul gets to, in chapter 8, this idea that giving grace goes out. And and so I want to give you three things, I think, from the passage as to how giving grace goes. Giving giving grace goes first, verse 5. They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then, by the will of God, to us. He says, uh, when we give grace, we give grace first to the Lord, right? Uh, First to the Lord. We come to church, we sing. Uh, we we show up at blessing bags. We we buy an extra can of beans uh, or corn or whatever it is, and we and we do open heart kitchen. Uh, in a week or so, we're going to have another opportunity that Emily's setting up, where we can do uh, things where we worship to the Lord. But then we we do it to other people. We are inviting, accepting, engaging other people. Uh, Grace was. Not something giving grace does not mean something that was given to us. First and foremost, I'm trying to tell you that uh, what Christ did on the cross was for you, uh, but it was for others. And if you started thinking about it as that was the primary reason, what kind of change of motivation would that be for you? Uh, would you dress up goofy and and do something out of the ordinary just to try and get that message across? Rich would. Dress up like St. Nick every, every holiday season, right? You can do that a couple Sundays for us coming up. Uh, so we do it for others as well, not just to the Lord. We do the Lord first, but then to others. Notice then is all capitalized, right? Uh, secondly, first from your abundance. Grace, giving grace goes first from your abundance. Then giving grace supplies someone's need. Verse 14 talks about it this way. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need. That's the definition of giving grace. But watch what happens in in verses 3, 4, and then 12. Uh, It says this. According to their means, I can testify, and beyond their means. And why did they do beyond their means? For the favor of taking part. For the favor of taking part. That's why they did it. And then verse 12. It is acceptable according to what you ha- what a first person has, not according to what he does not have. It's not a burden, but a blessing. It's not a burden, but a blessing. But we are supposed to get to a point where we recognize what our abundances are, and we use those to supply someone's need. It's not meant to be, you know, what is fair. Or what is equitable. It's what is for your abundance. And how can you meet someone else's need? And it's so backwards for us. In Exodus, they were worried about how much meat and manna they were going to get. In our day, we worry about other things. But it's almost like grace is this negotiation uh, and we're we want to make sure we get what's on our side of that negotiation. I had a negotiation this week. Um, it was it was scary. It was uh, one of the hardest ones uh, that I've been in in a long time. And I'm not sure uh, still yet how it's going to turn out. Um, but my son got his driver's license this week. So what was the negotiation, Dad? Can I borrow the keys? Guys, literally, this week, he got his driver's license. He comes in the house, uh, and and finally everybody's home. We picked everybody up from soccer practice and whatever. We have done dinner, and we're kind of sitting on the couch in the living room trying to figure out what's next, and he's antsy. He's just bouncing. Why? I want to go for my first drive solo, right? No mom, no dad, no instructor, no tester. I'm going my first drive by myself. Uh, by the way, uh, do you know what uh, t- teenage males do first time in their car when they get to drive by themselves? Uh, rumor has it they go to Jamba Juice. <laughs> right? Apparently. Great commercial for Jamba Juice, right? They got to do a commercial with me and my son about, you know, Jamba Juice, right? He drives off to Jamba Juice and comes home. Uh, and, and so uh, it was really funny because before he goes, I go, wait, wait, hold on a second. Because I could see him coming and he's like, hey, Dad, I was thinking of my. Go for a drive or a drive. I, saw coming. I saw it come. said, here, here, stand right here. I'm sitting on the couch. You get my phone on and put on speaker. Hold on a second. Call Scott Berglund, Sr., my dad. Speaker phone. Hey, Dad, how's it going? Good. It's so great to hear from you. Hold on a second. I want you to hear this. This is the first time this has ever happened, and you're going to hear it. Okay, ready? Ready? Just listen. Go ahead, John. Dad, can I borrow the keys? <laughs> it's a- Three generations got to hear him asking for keys for the first time. We had a big laugh of it. Well, a couple days go by, and and God bless him. Literally, I hope that God blesses him because uh, he gets the idea. I'll I'll drive over to Grandma Grandpa's house. Now it's a little bit late to be driving that far. Next day, instead of Jamba Jamba Juice, lost out to Grandma Grandpa. The next day, he drives over to Wayne and Carol's house and on his own. His idea comes home, the whole thing. Well, he starts doing this, drives the kid's uh, brother, sister to school and home a couple times, the whole thing. He uh, doesn't want these keys, by the way. These are, those are responsibilities and things like that. Let's just get rid of those. Uh, he just wants these. Uh, yesterday, a little light came on on the dash. What light was it? How do you know this? <laughs> We start having this negotiation. He calls me. Dad, I'm, I'm out of gas. Are you stuck? No, I just, it's getting low and I don't want to get stuck. So, can you come buy me gas? <laughs> no. No, I can't no i won't no i shan't <laughs> uh let's have a discussion johnny and begins the negotiations uh now i'm not sure how adult women would do this with their son i've never been an adult woman i'm just a dad and then, so i sat down with them we start making a list uh here's how many miles it is to school five times a week here's how many miles it is to work Two times a week. Here's how many miles it is to this place, a church, youth group. Uh, da, da, hey, I'm going to want you to drive such and such uh, once a week. So let's, uh, all right, here's how many miles you're going to drive in a week. Here's how much, many miles per gallon that car gets. All right. Here's how much it costs per gallon times the number of miles. Da, da, it, this is how much gas you're going to need each week, at least if you do the bare minimum. If you do anything more, price just goes up. His face starts turning white. Then I start uh, explaining to him. Now let's talk about insurance because I had to call the insurance company. You know, we need to add a driver. We need to add a car. Da-da-da. Our insurance went like four hundred dollars or something for three month term. I was like, oh, just take my arm, you know. Uh, so I start explaining to them, and, and he's just turning wider and wider. Right now, uh, let's talk about maintenance because you have to buy oil and replace this and da da da. And he's like. Wait, best question of the Holy Ghost. Those aren't covered by insurance? (laughs) No. No. Um, So we get to the end of the conversation. John, I want you to understand this whole list. These are all things for you. We've yet to talk about anything in this negotiation that benefits me, what do I get out of this benefit? Whole conversation changed, and he's like, "Uh, uh, uh let me think about it. I'll get back to you." <laughs> right? Because we're busy thinking about our side of what we get, rather than what do we give. Right? That famous uh, quote from the one president, you know, "Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country." I love election time because uh, that quote starts coming out all over the place, right? Uh, it's, a, it's a famous uh, condition that we have that we have to fight from uh, where we learn how to give grace. Last one, uh, first, at what is honorable to the Lord. First is what is honorable to the Lord. Verse 21 says, we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight. First, what is honorable to the Lord Hmm. I thought we only do what is honorable to the Lord. Isn't that it? I want to do the Lord's will and and only the Lord's will. That sounds pretty good, right? I mean, cue super Christian cape music, dun, 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 right? But that's not what the verse says. The verse says, and I quote: We aim at what is honorable, not only. What does not only do right there? What's it imply? It's saying, I'm going to introduce you to a second concept. We do what's honorable. Not only, when he says not only, what he's assuming is, I'm going to give you one thing that you thought was only. We only do this honorable thing. But I'm going to say not only, but I'm going to give you a second one. And watch what it says but also in the sight of man. See, what we do first, uh, giving grace goes first at what is honorable to the Lord, then also what is honorable in the sight of men. That is so, not just backwards, it, it's screaming the other direction of what we're used to. We say, I'm gonna do what God wants, and generally, by the way, uh, you define what God wants based on, What you want. Well, I like them, but I think they're a little bit off. Oh, really? Why? Well, they just think a little differently than I do. Well, heaven forbid that. That there might be multiple ways to approach a problem or view something. Or that different people might have different abundances to steal from the passage. We, we have this thing where we think if we pursue the Lord, we're good, us and them. No. You've got to do more than just what you think. You, you've got to do what the Lord thinks, and you've got to do what other people see as well. It's is why we have to do Church. You know why we have to do church? It's not so you can hear some guy talk about passages and theological concepts. We have to do church so that you guys are all forced to interact with one another, get along, work on something together, and learn how to cooperate. That's why you got to do that. See, see, church and God is something we do first to Him, but we also do it with other people, to other people. Remember I said, how do you speech? Right? But we've got to do it then, if we're doing it with them, we've got to let them have some influence. We might even want to cater to them and how they see it. Had a guy, went to our church for a while, uh, job team, move away, uh, something happened in his life, uh, eventful and gave me an excuse to call him. Hey, how's this going? What, what's going on? Uh, you doing well, it sounds exciting. And they were all happy and the whole thing. And, uh, we did 20 minutes of, of small talk and, and, you know, their event and the whole thing. And I said, so, uh, do you guys find a church? No, not really. Oh, really? What are you guys doing? Oh, we got another couple, sometimes two couples, uh, three couples sometimes who we meet at our house. We're kind of, I said, oh, so you're kind of doing a house church. He's like, yeah, kind of. How's that going? Eh, pretty good, I guess. We just haven't found a church that we like. Really? Neither have I. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? He said, what do you mean? I said, well... Like, you don't have a church. It's like, well, I don't really need a church. You know, I, just, I just need me and my relationship with the Lord and my family, and we can do it right here. Mm, you're, you're, you've are you taken others out of the equation, which is the whole point of church. So let me ask you another question. Who's your pastor? It's like, I don't understand. No, no, no. It's a very simple English question. Who's your pastor? Well, I guess I don't really have one. Yeah, well, I mean... Shouldn't you have a pastor? And, and here's where he got a little bit clever. Well, actually, Scott, you're my pastor. And I said, hold the phone. Pull the fire alarm. No way. I am not your pastor. Go to church and get yourself a pastor and get around some people so you can see God the way they see him as well. I didn't want to say this, but... Because I'm not sure you're seeing him very well on your own. You've stopped going to church and you don't have a pastor. But here, here's what we'll do. We'll take you at your word. You've said, I'm your pastor. Great. I'm going to be your pastor for a second. You ready? Okay, No. so here's where you guys need to understand. Uh, he and I are in very good terms. The way I'm telling this story is a little more serious and intense than it actually went about. I was teasing him. A lot of laughing Right? We're friends. I said, as your pastor, if that's what you're claiming, I'm going to buy it for a second. Ready? Your pastor's going to tell you to do something. Go to church and find a pastor. Because I'm not your pastor anymore. I relinquish the position. The unwillingness to go and submit to a uh, religious entity or other people... Uh, uh, guys, really, come on. Are we are we in kindergarten or preschool? Um, actually, kindergartens cooperate pretty well these days. I don't know if you've met any. Uh, why why can't we go and and see how other people see it, and maybe cater to how they see it? Love your neighbor and as yourself. Hmm. As myself, I do everything the way I want to do it. Maybe if I love my neighbor as I love myself, I would do everything the way they want me to do it. Because that is such a foreign concept. I'm I'm tired of, and I think it is incorrect, for Christians to say, the majority of the people out there are no longer Judeo-Christian based, and we need to set culture and change culture and fight against them. And mm, Maybe we need to start listening to them. Maybe we need to start catering to them. Because they're backwards, because they see things differently than, than we do. Maybe we need to do it with them their way once in a while, for a little while, because they need to see that we care about them. What if we cater to those who are headed to destruction? You know, most people are headed the wrong direction at this church. How about outside the church? Most people are headed the wrong direction. You know what the Bible says? Many will come to me in that day. <laughs> I wish people would pay attention to the little words in the sentences that are written in the Bible. Many people will come to him in that day and say, Lord, Lord. And I will say to them, Depart from me. To who? To the many. He will say, depart from me. I never knew you. There's another passage. The road is narrow and few are those that find it. I hate that verse. Small road and just a few people get on it. Now, I've done a little math in my day. I like to stay to the simple stuff. Few is less than a majority. It's less than 50%. I can say with confidence, the majority of people are headed the wrong direction. And they might need me to cater to them for a while for the, for me to finally have their attention. And what if I were a blessing to them? What if I gave them grace on a regular basis? Maybe they might look at who my God is and want to head that direction. Because there's another verse that says, but as many as have received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. I don't know about you. I like many over few. Many over few. We need to be in the business of giving grace. It is what we're called to. It is why we were given grace in the first place. And are there going to be people different than you? There will only be people different than you. I keep waiting to meet the guy that's the same as me. I wouldn't like him. It's your second service extra. Lord, thank you for this morning, and thank you that we uh, that we receive grace. Forgive us, Lord, for not... Extending that grace as an immediate response. Teach us how to give grace. Teach us how to listen to the sight of other men. What they think is honorable. Help us, Lord, to know when to cater. When to give, what to give, how to respond. And we thank you, Lord, that your son set that example on the cross to perfection. Knew exactly what to do. Did it. Knew how to respond. Knew what to say. Tempted in every way and yet without sin. He showed us how to give grace. Praise you for him. And then, Lord, we pray that there be those this morning, even, that would choose to receive that same grace from Him. If you're here this morning, you've never received God's giving grace, you can ask Him into your life now, however you want, in your own words, but if you wanted a suggestion, you could say it like this, Father God, I receive your, your grace today from this day forward. I accept what your son did on the cross. I accept who he is. I accept what you want to do in my life from now on. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for the ministry that you put me on going forward. I love you and I need you. If that's your prayer, we want to help you. We want to know. Come and talk to us after service. We'll be up here at this stage. Father, we thank you for all this in your son's name. Amen.